Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 125, and today we'll be chatting with Orit Davis, the head of growth at Abe. Orit is originally from Jamaica and moved to Florida as a kid. After studying biotechnology, Orit was exposed to the world of startups and marketing and jumped right in, loving the fast pace at which almost anything was possible. Orit is also deeply connected in the Orlando startup community, having organized several startup weekend events, meetups, and even launching an accelerator there. He's also previously an analyst with a VC firm in between startups of his own. Today, he's leading growth at a fintech bot company called Abe. Orit joins us to share his story, what it's like being part of the tech community in Orlando, how he joined the team at Abe, why he's so interested in the intersection of fintech and bot spaces, what it's like growing a bot, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hack to start drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hey, Orit, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man, absolutely. We're really excited to uh, have you on the show and get to hear more about you know yourself and what you're working on with Abe. But before we dive into all that, can you just share a little bit more uh, with us and the audience about, about you? Can you tell us where you're from and what did you study? So I'm originally from Kingston, Jamaica, but I grew up in South Florida in the West Palm Beach area. And for school, I attended University of Florida. And there I studied, of all things, completely unrelated to technology. Uh, I did studied biotechnology and was really focused on the genetics of microorganisms and kind of the study of where this biotech future uh, was going to go. That's so cool. So how did that evolve into a passion for tech and entrepreneurship? You know, growing up, I've always really had an interest in technology. So, like, I remember in middle school getting my first computer, tearing it apart, finding a way to overclock it. And so I've always kind of surrounded myself with technology. Um, and then so I, th- I think for me, it was sometime during my junior to senior year of undergrad where I started really following a lot of technology blogs and entrepreneurship blogs. And for me, that was really the kicker. Um, a lot of times when you study things like biology, like the, the research aspects of it just takes forever and there's no real uh, results until years later. But then here comes this fascinating tech startup world where things literally spawn overnight and you can go from a few lines of code or go from literally from idea into a big product, you know, in a matter of days, if not weeks. And so for me, I found that incredibly fascinating, kind of the potential of being able to take something off the back of a napkin and make it into like a real viable idea, product uh, that can have some impact. Yeah, absolutely. That fast pace is what I love so much about tech. So given your background in biology, do you have any plans to have, you know, that field intersect with your, your current passion for technology? You know, no, no immediate plans for me for anything like that. I'm still very much fascinated by like the biology side of things and like how things work, uh, and especially some of the latest research and stuff that I'm seeing about like CRISPR and um, some of those latest advancements there of being able to truly like genetically modify organisms. I, I just find it incredibly fascinating. To me, it's like that's the sci-fi future that I read about as a kid, like coming, coming to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. Super cool. I guess we'll have to stay tuned and see what happens uh, in that industry. Yeah. 
So can you tell us a little bit more, I guess, about how you actually dove into uh, into entrepreneurship and started building your career as an entrepreneur, you know, during uh, college or even after college? Yeah, so it was literally my senior year, and I kind of knew that I didn't want to do the you know the traditional biology, med school, farm school, vet school track. And like I said, I was really just fascinated about um, entrepreneurship, and I started just trying to figure out, you know, what were some problems that I was seeing that maybe I could try and tackle. And uh, I happened to just be home on, a, I guess, like a summer vacation and end up doing a like surfing or kayaking lesson. I forget what exactly what it was. And the process that I went through in order to like do the surfing lesson, citing all these paper waivers, and uh, it was just a very archaic process. So I kind of went back and like that was my first real idea is like, how do I make this a smoother process? And that was really my first entrepreneurial venture. It was the startup that I had called Waterloo. And it was just an online reservation system for any kind of water sports providers. So fishing, surfing, kayaking lessons, online reservation system, online booking. Uh, I think I took like 3K that my parents gave me as like a graduation gift and kind of plumped that in to hire some freelancers and designers to help create the the product itself. And then I was just going out there um, trying to get onboard people on the platform and learning from that. And for me, that was the real, you know, I essentially dove headfirst into, you know, entrepreneurship. And I honestly think that's like the best way to do it. If you have an idea and you're young, just just dive in and kind of see what what happens. Uh, it really forces you some of the some entrepreneurship principles. You can't read it in a book. You have to really fit like apply it. And the best way to learn how to apply it is just to do it and then worry about breaking things later and doing things perfect later. But the first thing to really do is just to start somewhere. I couldn't agree more. So after that first startup, you ended up joining Arsenal Venture Partners as an analyst. So what was this experience like for you? It's probably about a year or so transition from when I was working on the startup to when I started working with Arsenal. And it was really through uh, the MBA program that I was doing here in Rollins, which is here in Orlando in Winter Park. Some of the partners are really connected to some of the professors. They had some previous exits together, and they had just really launched this first time that they were doing this in analyst program. And I think it was just a matter of me kind of my involvement with the tech community, my some of my previous like entrepreneurship like work and activities that I had done that I think opened the doors for me to kind of get in on board very early in the kind of this analyst position with them. For me, it was a fantastic opportunity going from founder to the kind of the VC side of things and being able to see, you know, get perspectives from both sides of the table. So how was that transition for you going from the founder to investor? You know, it's it's, a, it's an interesting transition, right? So it really, like I said, opens up your eyes in terms of what what makes a viable, you know, venture-backable company, right? So when you talk about things that can scale, you know, VCs want a 10, 100x times return on their investment. So how do you achieve that? And so things like channel partners are an ideal way to do that or having some type of really defensible product or IP or sometimes it just boils down to just having a really just awesome team um, that has the backing experience. And so just kind of being able to see and sit in a lot of these meetings and talk to other entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs at that and kind of see what it took to get them to that level and what it took for them to get investments. For me, I think just invaluable experience as someone knowing that I was eventually going to either go back and launch my own startup or go back and work with a venture-backed startup to see kind of what those elements, the partners and the analysts were looking at. Sounds like an amazing experience to be a part of. So speaking of some of the elements you wanted to observe from both sides of the table, what are some of the most important elements of a startup you tell other founders to focus on or develop if they are looking to raise some early funding? I think it really just starts with with your team and then being being able to be incredibly coachable about your idea. It's one of those things where I've sat in meetings before uh, and even, you know, kind of 
even with the starter studio, which is with Accelerator that I started after I left Arsenal, just some founders, just how unwilling they are to take advice and take feedback and even to take criticism. Uh, you've you've got to be able be 100% open to taking that. And, and even if you're just kind of in one ear and one out, out the other, um, just being able to appreciate it and relate to it. Um, use it if you need to, if they're otherwise just throw it out, but not to just take offense to everything that someone is trying to tell you about your idea. I think that is one big takeaway that I got across the board was just, you know, being able to be coachable, you know, because the the partners and the folks that you meet, they have extensive networks and, you know, they're putting their reputation on the line a lot of the times as well, too. So, you know, they want to know that whoever they're going to recommend or whoever they're going to invest in into, um, you know, is going to be a sound investment in terms of the, the person itself. You know, cause at the end of the day, you're investing in people. Yeah, exactly. I really like that. Just, you know, invest in coaching and being coachable. That's that's amazing. So I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the Startup Studio. So you were actually co-founded an accelerator, which is called Startup Studio. Yep. So what really motivated you to start this? And how did you approach making it happen? When we look at Orlando and kind of the central Florida market, and we kind of identified some of the elements that were missing. So we had a really great or thriving startup community. Um, we had companies that had made exits. Um, we had a great university and we look at all the kind of the pieces of the puzzle that we have in Orlando. But one of the things that was missing is we just didn't have uh, an accelerator program of any kind. Um, we had incubators, which were tied to the university, and, and they're a lot different than the traditional, you know, startup accelerator where you're there for three months and you're there with a specific end goal in mind. So, you know, kind of around this time, I met uh, Greg Pollack or got really close with Greg Pollack, who is the founder and CEO of Code School. Um, I also met Dan McGaw, who was a gro- head of growth for Code School, but also then went on to lead gro- uh, marketing for Kissmetrics and now runs his own growth consultancy. So the three of us kind of worked together to really help lay the foundation for what would become Starter Studio. And we just both, well, the three of us kind of leveraged our network um, of the folks that we had met throughout the community. For me, from doing kind of some of these startup events for the Startup Weekend, the tech meetups, and we brought those folks in to be mentors for the first class of starters. And, you know, very much bootstrapped approach. So we didn't offer any any funding to the companies, but what we did offer was free space in, inside of Code School's expansion space that they had at the time. And we offered really great mentorship opportunity. And the one really unique thing that we did that I hadn't seen many other accelerated programs do was that we opened up uh, just about all of the educational opportunities. So all of the workshops, all the broad, broad luxuries to the entire community. So whether you're in Star Studio program or not, you can gain access to this knowledge, this wealth of knowledge that we had built up. And so it just it's paid off some really awesome dividends here for this local community. I think the Star Studio now is on its sixth or seventh class. And some of those companies have gone on to to raise funding. They've hired folks. And so, you know, I think for the outcome for me starting this, I, I couldn't have dreamed of what it has become now. So you've done a ton of amazing work as a community builder in Orlando, as you've mentioned throughout the episode. So what is it about Orlando's startup scene that motivates you to keep working? And what's the vibe of the tech scene like in the city today? Yeah, I mean, when I first moved to Orlando, you know, I was incredibly frustrated by what was here. Um, there literally was nothing. And I searched for months to find other entrepreneurs, other people that were as crazy as I was. And, you know, I, I eventually was just like, uh, eventually attended a startup weekend in Tampa. And I saw how, uh, I saw the effect that that event had in bringing out the entrepreneurial community there committed myself that no matter what it took, I was going to do the same thing here in Orlando. And, you know, kind of from there, we did the first event, sold out, had 150 attendees. We also started doing the tech meetups at the same time. 
And over those last, you know, three to four years, it's really kind of just just seen this really accelerated growth of our ecosystem, you know, to the point where now our tech meetups are pro- one of the largest in the Southeast, you know, close to 5,000 members in that group. Uh, when I was hosting it, we had over 200 plus, 250 plus monthly attendees. Uh, and as a full stack event, so this is the marketing community, the entrepreneur community, the technical design, the creative, you name it. Um, and it just became the signature event for our community. I've been incredibly excited to see kind of the growth of our ecosystem, the exits that have happened here. Uh, you know, I mentioned Code School, which sold to Pluralsight for $36 million. You talk about companies like Unikey, which is a um, smart lock Bluetooth technology. You know, they raised over $14 million here locally. You talk about companies like Pentaho, which sold to Hitachi for half a billion dollars. Foxeo, Tropa, which sold to Cisco. I mean, the kind of list goes on. And these all of exits for a community that's pretty unknown. You know, we're not on the map for our startup ecosystem. But these these exits are happening here. Um, some really awesome companies that are being built here. So for me, I'm really excited to see the path that the next two to four years take for our ecosystem as we see more exits kind of happen and they progressively get bigger or they're 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 more frequent. Um, you know that kind of it's kind of this um, this cyclical effect that then funnels back into the broader community, right? So one exit begets another exit, which begets more exits and begets more startups. And, you know, we're, we were kind of waiting for that moment here in Orlando. And I think we're finally at this tipping point where those exits and those founders are coming back to launch new companies and reinvest in the ecosystem. It's finally starting to hit that tipping point here for this community. Wow. Sounds like a great community and something that's really exciting to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And Orlando's Orlando's a really awesome place in, you know, our, for our tax environment. So we don't pay any state income tax. The cost of living here is considerably lower. So if you're a startup building a company, you know, your runway is extended by that much more. And we have awesome talent that you can poach from places like Disney or Lockheed uh, or any of these really large um, tech companies. You know, we're, we're, I think we have the world's largest cluster for modeling and simulation and modeling simulation and training, right? So when you talk about VR and kind of those opportunities, there's a ton of talent here that's, I would like to say, hidden in Orlando uh, that can be tapped on for the next greatest startup. Uh, so I'm incredibly kind of excited for the future of what this uh, city and kind of what this community has has in store for it. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds super exciting. We'll have to uh, stay tuned and keep a closer eye on Orlando, I guess. You guys are sneaking out all the cool startups. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't don't discredit Orlando. <laughs> absolutely. So shifting a little bit more to what, you know, uh, occupies you for, for the most part, uh, today you're the head of growth at Abe.ai. So for those who might yeah. not have heard about it yet, can you tell us more about Abe and how you created the opportunity to join the team there? Yeah, so absolutely. So Abe is a personal finance chatbot. Um, so we're building conversational banking technologies for community banks and credit unions. And then we also have the kind of consumer facing side of it, which if you think of like admit.com to talk to you about your finances, that's what Abe does. So you can simply text Abe or message Abe on Slack and say, hey, Abe, what's my budget? What can I afford to spend this week, uh, this weekend? What's the APR on my credit card? And Abe will give you kind of all the insights you need to know about your personal finances. Um, so your recurring expenses. And so one of the cool things we do with that is uh, we don't just track your Netflix and your utility bill. But if you literally, if you actually buy a Starbucks coffee every single day, that's a recurring expense that you need to budget for. And so we track some really cool insights like that and then offer it to you in a very natural, human-friendly form for you to talk to Abe about your money. Uh, so you, with Abe, you get honest answers about your finances. That's wicked. How did you come about joining the team? Uh, so funny enough, it really, it honestly came through uh, some of the relationships that I had through Startup Weekend. 
So the co-founder of Abe, uh, Keith Armstrong, was actually one of the early, was one of the first employees at Startup Weekend. And when I applied to host, to organize Startup Weekend here in Orlando, Keith was literally the first person I ever talked to about wanting to do something entrepreneurial and tech-related here in, in Orlando. And funny enough, he's actually from Opopka, which is a, a city right outside of Orlando. And uh, just one day, I was kind of just having a random conversations, like, hey, I'm ready to kind of make my next move. I want to hop back into the startup game. After spending some time, you know, kind of helping to build up the tech association here and kind of this ecosystem, I really want to get my hands dirty back again from the, from the ground up. And, you know, Keith was just like, hey, I, I, we're working on this project. We, we've kind of been in stealth mode for a little bit. Let's, let's have a further conversation about it. And, you know, as soon as they told me what they're, they were working on, kind of what they've been hacking on these nights and weekends, uh, immediately just fascinated by the entire, the entire premise of it. Kind of the applications that it can have for really changing consumer behavior towards their finances. I've been really fascinated by the fintech landscape the last couple of years. Um, we're at a unique opportunity now to really democratize investments in finances. Like finances are now are not something that are really kind of achievable and accessible to everyone. Where you think back to our parents, unless you were, you know, parents were really incredibly well off. Um, not many folks had access to a personal financial advisor, right? But now we have robo advisors, and we have Acorns, and we have Robinhood. So I'm just incredibly fascinated by the fintech landscape and kind of the future of what now pairing that with an AI agent can do to really help consumers with their money. I just think it's really just fascinating. So kind of coming back to that democratization of fintech, what is it about the bot space or the finance industry or the intersection of the two that, that has you kind of most excited and where do you see it continuing to evolve? Well, for me, I think it's really, we're really at the early stages of kind of this chatbot movement and especially when it relates to banking and finances. Um, if you think to kind of the other kind of rise of like when Steve Jobs went on stage and it was like, you know, the apps are the new thing. We now have a similar transition where bots are the new apps, right? And so the potential for these these agents, these natural language chatbots to in influence people in how they make their purchases or give them insights into their money. For me, I just find it incredibly fascinating. I, I just think we're kind of really at this this pivot point now um, when it comes to like how we engage with our just how we engage as millennials or in consumers in general. It's a lot of it's through text or it's through voice. Uh, I'm really just a fan of kind of this magical interfaces where it's it's just it just works, right? You have no idea if you're talking to a human or a bot on one end. You know, money gets moved, money gets saved, and you don't have to think about it. Part of our thesis is really if we can help automate, truly automate someone's finances, you know, that the better off they will be, right? So if you think of your money as a kind of your money as like cars going through a traffic light, Right. If Abe can be the, the lights that help to direct your money. So this part of your cash goes into your savings account. This part of your cash goes to pay off your credit card. This part goes to pay off your loan. And this part of it is really your spending money for the weekend. Right. And truly automate that process. I think that can have a truly just transformative effect on uh, personal finance. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds super cool. And I like the, the fact that you brought up that it's kind of like a pivotal moment in that, you know, bots haven't necessarily gone mainstream yet, but there are these kind of like cool magical interfaces that just work. So given your kind of day-to-day -day role, how do you approach marketing something that's so new and, and growing an app that's so new and that, you know, hasn't quite gone, gone mainstream? Because as, you know, tech people, we're, we're usually early adopters, so we're used to bots and, and checking all this all this cool new stuff out. But have you found there to be any kind of additional challenges for you to market this kind of new technology and especially since we're talking about people's money like how, how do people react to that 
Yeah, so there, there, there are definitely some challenges. And, you know, it's one of the things that we learned very early on is how we talk about Abe. And so when we talk to our tech friends, you know, we can say the term chatbot or bot because, you know, we are in the industry and we know that. But when I'm pitching this to my mom, you know, I've got to use a completely different frame of reference for her. Um, and so, yeah, so it has caused some challenges that we've kind of worked around. So, you know, we use different words, whether it's personal assistant or virtual assistant to help really kind of lay the foundation that what what Abe does um, or it's your coach. We use a couple of different terminology to really play around with that. One of the things that's working in our favor right now is that you have big companies like Facebook um, or Kick or even Skype that are really pushing the use of bots within their platform. And so, you know, we're kind of piggybacking and, and leveraging that Facebook is pumping a ton of money into marketing that they have bots on their platform and really hope and piggybacking on that and then piggybacking on some of the other bigger financial institutions that have also launched their own bots, really. So they're, they are, in a sense, helping to educate our market for us. So there definitely are some challenges, right? So we're dealing with people's finances. It's been proven through, you know, Robinhood and Acorns that, that folks are, for the most part, okay, okay logging in through third-party platforms to, to check and manage their finances. But yeah, there's still lots of education that needs to happen there. Yeah, for sure. It's cool. Looking forward to yeah. seeing how, you know, the space continues to evolve. So what have been some of the most effective channels for growth or marketing so far? Or how have you guys managed to acquire some of your first users? Yeah, so, you know, like any startup, like some of our very first early users were really through friends and family and kind of just leveraging some of the network of con network connections that I and some of the other founders have as well, too. We're a startup, so we ad admire to or adhere to a lot of the growth frameworks. So we have our growth meetings. We test out lots of different things over the course of a week to see what sticks and what's working. So for us, we've had success in some non-traditional things. So speaking at conferences and, and, and things like that. Um, we've had some success with doing lead gen, um, whether through it's the Facebook or Twitter ads and things like that, that have played off really well. And one of the things that I'm really excited to, to start testing out is uh, Google now has the, the Google like text text ad. So you can literally, through Zapper and some other integrations, directly have someone through an ad text Abe and start the engagement, start the sign-up process right through an ad. Um, so those are some of the things like I'm super interested to start playing around with and start testing in terms of the consumer side of things. On the banking side of things, we've had some really good success because it's, it's more B2B focused on, like I said, talking at conferences. Um, a lot of our leads have come from there. We're hosting webinars and white papers and kind of helped with some of our lead flow as well, too. It's awesome. Really cool. You'll have to keep us updated on how the uh, the Google ads to SMS uh, work for, their, for the apps. I'm curious about that as well. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I haven't seen anyone really play around with that too much yet. And, you know, for us, we're, we're on SMS. And if we can use SMS as a way to get folks onboarded onto the platform and then, you know, use that to say, hey, by the way, we're on Facebook Messenger or we're on Slack or whatever the other platform it is, um, and kind of using that as the, the entry point. You know, I don't think there's been, in terms of what I call like serious apps or serious bots, there really isn't too much of kind of this network effect that some of the other viral bots have or some of the other things. So it's, it's a very, very early in this kind of this market or in this landscape right now. Yeah, absolutely. So what's next for Abe over the coming uh, months and years? Yeah, so over the coming months, we're just really just focused on truly making an awesome product. So kind of refining some of the natural language conversations that Abe can have. Um, so it's more stateful. So Abe can be very aware of the previous things that you mentioned. 
um, and kind of keeping that keeping that flow. Uh, that's the really the big push for us. And then the big other big push as well too is additional platforms. Um, and so one of the things that we learned really quickly is that you know for each platform the you have to leverage the unique features of that platform. So on Slack, for example, you have the Slack attachments. On Facebook, you have galleries and those cards. So you have very much rich dynamic text versus on text, you literally just limited to text and GIFs and images, right? Um, so for each platform, you really have to custom tailor the experience. It's one of the things we learned very early on. So we're really just focused right now on making a really awesome conversational element and some of the algorithms that we have in our back end, truly making the experience on each of the additional platforms that we launch on like the best of breed that we can. And then working on the back end for our B2B side for the banks is working on some of the more anal- analytics uh, and marketing things that some of the banks want to see as well, too. So what are some of the most recent apps or bots that you've checked out or used recently? So really good question. I've been recently, I'm a growth marketer, so I'm really interested in analytics and tracking. One of the apps I downloaded recently was like a sleep cycle tracker to track my sleep. So I'm going to try and take a more analytical approach to the way that I live my life and see my first step is my sleep tracking. One of my favorite ones so far has been Poncho, uh, Poncho the weather bot. And I'm a really big fan of that because of the the personality of Poncho and kind of how that comes across. And, that, you know, that's really a big a big component to how you build bots is just the conversational element of it, right? You don't want to talk to a bot that's very boring and very dry and doesn't have any personality. Um, so I've been playing around a lot with and kind of following some of the updates from Poncho and what they've been working on. That's really cool. So, so do you have any recommendations on just some great content that you've come across lately, either book, blog post, or uh, video? Uh, I'm a really big fan of some of the marketing aggregators. So whether it's growthhackers.com or inbound.org, um, because I'm in the bot space, obviously, I've been following a lot of Chatbot Magazine. So they recently just launched their own little forum. I think it's at news.chatbotmagazine.com. So a lot of the things that I, I read have been focused on that. One of the books recently that I've read that I, I'm a big fan of has been Traction. Um, and it's I think it's just a good you know, if you're a startup and you're just trying to figure out like what these channels um, that you kind of brought up earlier, what the channels are working the most effectively for you as a startup, I think it's a good book to kind of get some of that frame of reference and start applying some of those practices and tools. Yeah, absolutely. Those are some uh, some great resources and traction is definitely a, a great read uh, to kind of like really understand the whole landscape and, and just figure out where they should start. Yeah, absolutely. Stuff the wall to see what sticks. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, that's, I feel that's all marketers do is just throw things at the wall. And if something sticks, you just throw it, keep throwing it at that one spot. For sure. So do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? You know, I've, I've always just been a fan of just do things and kind of worry about perfection later. You know, like I said, I think the hardest things for people to do is just to start something or start anything. And I, I'm a very much of the mindset is done is better than perfect. I think is how, how that saying goes. Uh, and I, I try my best like live to live by that as well, too. And I think the same thing as a, as a marketer, you know, you can worry and kind of work on things and try and strive for the 99%. But if an 80% can get you there and save you two weeks in the process, then it's much better for you to have the 80% and then have the two weeks of extra time to do some other things. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to look at it. Warit, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was awesome to have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope to have you join us again soon. 
Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do it without your awesome support, so please leave us a review on iTunes. Until next week, and we hope you enjoy the show.